the rapture, marriage supper of the Lamb, second coming, the battle of Armageddon, Satan's kingdom versus God's kingdom, elements melting with a fervent heat, new heavens, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, and much more, all prophesied to occur in the very near future. Well, on today's edition of The End Time Show, we will provide the biblical understanding of these events on these next few editions of The End Time Show. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Dave Robbins with End Time Ministries. Thank you for joining me on this edition of The End Time Show. Now, you may be a Bible study teacher, a pastor, or just someone who loves the Bible and is seeking a better understanding about some of the more complex prophecies in Scripture. I know that there are I know of pastors that won't even touch the book of Revelation after Revelation 4, verse 1. And, you know, if you really don't understand it, it's probably best that you kind of are hands off, right? But maybe that's why we do so many prophecy conferences around the United States every year. But in the next few editions of the End Time Show, I hope to, number one, prove the rapture, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and the second coming of Jesus are one continuous event, not separated by several years. Um, also, to describe the transition from Satan's kingdom to God's kingdom. Yes, we are. Satan is the god of this world right now. Also, I want to answer questions like, when will the elements melt with a fervent heat? Like the Bible says they will in the very near future. When will God create a new heaven and a new earth? What's all that all about? And I also want to describe the New Jerusalem, possibly like you've never heard it before. And we'll cover much more. Most of these segments here uh, will be focused on Revelation through Revelation 19 through Revelation 22. I've got a lot of information to cover, and so we're going to get right into it. God spent Revelation chapter 17 and 18 explaining the judgment of false Christianity where false Christianity is referred to as the great whore. The extent of God's judgment against the great whore illustrates how much God hates false Christianity and false religious, religious teaching, period. Revelation 19, 1 through 5 finishes describing the judgment of false Christianity and, uh, and the false religious system in the end time. A great voice of many people in heaven is heard to say in Revelation 19, 1 and 2, And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are His judgments, for He hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. The remarks about false Christianity are concluded in Revelation 19, 3. 
and her smoke rose up forever and ever. So we're going to get right into the beginning of Revelation 19 here where it talks about the marriage of the Lamb. Now this is going to be when the rapture occurs. After these horrible pronouncements of judgment early on in Revelation 19, the mood of Revelation 19, it shifts to one of rejoicing. Revelation 19.7 records, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and His wife, you know who the wife is, the bride, His wife hath made herself ready. Now, most people have taught the rapture of the church occurs all the way back in Revelation 4.1. However, in Revelation 19.7, the marriage of the Lamb to His bride, the church, has not happened yet. Also, verse 7 reveals that His wife hath made herself ready. Revelation 19.8 describes the bride's preparation. It says, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. After this, the voice said to John in Revelation 19.9, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, it's interesting that this is the only place in Scripture where the marriage supper of the Lamb is specifically mentioned by name. And immediately afterward, in Revelation 19.11, heaven is opened up and Jesus appears in the sky. Uh, John said, And I beheld, he's seeing a future vision here, and he says, And I, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Well, how do all of these events fit together? Because I think a lot of people have a... Um, a hard time kind of laying this out in some kind of a chronological order or kind of putting all the pieces of the puzzle together. And that's really what I want to do on these next few editions, at least the next couple editions, maybe this one and another one, of the End Time Show. How do all of these events fit together? Well, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-17, it explains, For the Lord God Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. These scriptures are describing the same event as the bride meeting her bridegroom for the marriage supper in Revelation 19. It's the exact same event, folks. Although we are not given much detail about the marriage supper of the Lamb, it's obvious that it will appear somewhere, it will occur somewhere in the sky. And since the church by then will have received immortal bodies, this could virtually be held anywhere, right? Some have speculated the marriage supper of the Lamb will last for seven years. But it's obvious this cannot be true since Revelation 19, the, the battle of Army, since in Revelation 19, the battle of Armageddon follows immediately after the marriage supper of the Lamb. Furthermore, 
What's the longest supper any of us have ever attended, right? I mean, at a wedding or something, maybe, I mean, obviously, what, two, three, maybe four hours? So it is important to understand the second coming of Jesus Christ. When you're trying to tile these pieces together, I'm going to hold right here because I want to make sure you guys get this because this is very, very critical when you're trying to understand the book of Revelation. Even back in Revelation 19, 20, 21, 22, you've got to understand the foundations of it all to finally tile the pieces together. So um, thank you all for listening. I know that I, I enjoy studying the book of Revelation and you do as well. And so for everybody wanting to understand these, hopefully we can unlock some stuff. They that understand what is taking place will instruct many. Except a man is born again, he can't enter or see the kingdom of God. I don't care what label you've been given or what label you've given yourself, you are essential. You still matter. This is a journey, and when we get to the other side of that, that's where our prize is, that's where our reward is. End time is not going anywhere. Satan and the elites of this world don't want you to understand the timeline leading to the second coming of Jesus. You can pinpoint where we are in the end time understand how you fit in and be filled with hope in God's plan by watching the future according to Bible prophecy. Go to intime.com slash future or call 800 intime. That's 800-363-8463. What if you could understand Bible prophecy? Dave Robbins, the host of the End of the Age television and radio programs, is holding a free prophecy conference near you. Gain peace and understanding about what the Bible says concerning end-time prophecy. Call 1-800-END-TIME or visit endtime.com slash events for more information. It is important to understand that the second coming of Jesus Christ is recorded several times in the book of Revelation. The last description of the second coming is found in Revelation 19, verse 11 and 12. John said, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, on his head were many crowns, and he had the name written that no man knew but he himself. In this passage, John saw heaven opened. It's the same event that happened back in Revelation 6.14. John records back there that, And the heaven departed as a scroll when it was rolled uh, together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. This is the exact same event in Revelation 19. These two accounts describe the, um, 
uh, uh, are two accounts of the second coming of Jesus Christ. In Revelation 19, 13 through 14, the name of the one on the white horse is the Word of God. And the Bible says, And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven with him followed him on white horses clothed in uh, fine linen, white and clean. We know for certain this is Jesus because in John 1.1 and John 1.14, we are explicitly told Jesus is the Word of God. Revelation 19.14 explains the armies which were in heaven followed Jesus upon white horses. Well, that's referring to the church because you remember um, Enoch prophesied this. This would be in uh, Jude 1.14. He said, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of His saints. The saints are the armies. The saints or the church are the armies that come back with the Lord to fight on behalf of Israel at the Battle of Armageddon. This is why Matthew chapter 24 verse 31 says Jesus will send His angels to gather together His elect. Think of it like this. We are gathered together from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Uh, I think the book of Luke says from the, all around the earth, we're gathered together for the marriage supper of the Lamb in the sky, and then we go collectively to fight on behalf of Israel at the Battle of Armageddon. Again, there's, there is no seven-year period between the rapture and the marriage supper of the Lamb in the sky and when we go to fight on behalf of Israel at the Battle of Armageddon. It is one continuous event. If you try to understand it, that it's all separated and there's a seven-year tribulation, that's going to kind of mess you up when you try to figure out the book of Revelation. Other prophecies tell us it's at the Battle of Armageddon, the armies of the world government, led by the Antichrist, will decide to invade Jerusalem. They're going to come across the Euphrates River, down through Syria, and then across into Israel. The battle is going to be joined in Israel up in the plain of Megiddo, in the north, and also known as the uh, Valley of Jezreel. And included in that world government army, this is Ezekiel chapter 38, Russia, Iran, modern-day Persia, Russia, Gog and Magog, Turkey, Togarma, Ethiopia, Libya, all of these will be involved in that army. Israel, obviously, is going to fight valiantly against this world governing force but is going to slowly be driven backward down the Jordan Valley. And after days of bitter fighting, the Antichrist and his armies will reach the city of Jerusalem, right there in the Kidron Valley, the Valley of Jehoshaphat. And according to Zechariah 14.2, half of the city of Jerusalem will then fall to the superior forces of the world governing army. When Israel is on the brink of defeat, this is going to trigger the intervention into the war of Jesus Christ Himself. He will descend. You can read this. This would be Zechariah chapter 14. He will descend from heaven and the church will be raptured to meet Him in the sky. Afterward, Jesus will place His feet on the Mount of Olives. Revelation 19, 15 and 16 describes what happens next. Uh, John said, And out of His mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it He should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath 
of Almighty God. This is the battle of Armageddon. When the Bible talks about the winepress of the wrath of God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, this passage describes Jesus treading the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And this same treading of the winepress by Jesus is described back in Revelation 14, 9. It's the same event, but it's told over and over and over throughout the book of Revelation. Revelation, uh, I'm sorry, that would be Revelation 14, 19. Revelation 19, 15 also states that Jesus will rule the nations with a rod of iron. Remember back in Revelation 12, 5, it states that the man-child born to the woman, the woman with 12 stars around her head, was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Well, that is Israel. This provides absolute proof that Jesus was the man-child back in Revelation chapter 12. Now, I know I'm covering a lot of ground here, so grab your notebook and try to write down, or you can go back and watch these programs later on at endtime.com. But it's very, very important uh, that you understand how to lay all this stuff out because we're, we're, we're watching precursors to these things occur right now in the earth. Events leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, the supper of the great God. This is kind of a gory part of the prophecy here, but the supper of God is described in Revelation 19, verses 17 and 18, and also back in Ezekiel chapter 39. But in Revelation, the John's account in uh, chapter 19, he said, And I saw an angel standing in the sun. He cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together under the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and then that set on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. It's really a, a, a gory part of, the, part, of, part of prophecy, right? I mean, this passage demonstrates just how angry God is toward wicked men. At Armageddon, he will call for the beast of the field and the fowls of heaven to eat the flesh of kings, captains, and mighty men. And again, the same, the, the same expression of anger of God is found back in Ezekiel 39, verses 17 and 18. Um, Ezekiel said, And thou, son of man, thus saith Lord, the Lord God, speak unto every feathered fowl and every beast of the field, assemble yourselves and come and gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice that I do sacrifice for you. Even a great sacrifice upon the mountains of Israel that ye may eat flesh and drink blood. Oh, what a horror movie that would make, right? Ye shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth and rams and lambs and goats, bullocks and all of the fatlings of Bashan. Ezekiel 38 and 39 describes the battle of, of Gog and Magog. Well, many people have contended that this battle, this is a, it's a battle that will occur prior to the final seven years called Daniel's 70th week. However, if you compare Ezekiel 39, 17, and 18 with Revelation 19, 17, and 18, it proves conclusively the battle of Gog and Magog is the exact same battle as the battle of Armageddon. 
They're not two separate wars. They're the exact same battle. In both accounts, it describes the great sacrifice God will make of the kings and the mighty men of the earth. So, what about the, the false prophet, the Antichrist and the false prophet that have been in work in the earth over the world government and over the, the world religious system? Well, Revelation 19, 19 and 20, John said, And I saw the beast, the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat up on the horse and against his army. So again, the church, the saints, will come back with the Lord to fight on behalf of Israel at the Battle of Armageddon against these world-governing armies. That's what this is talking about here. Uh, John goes on to say, And the beast, the Antichrist, was taken, and with him the false prophet, this world religious leader, that will have been in alliance with him, that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worships his image. Here's what's going to happen. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And there are people that say, well, there's not really a hell or there's not really a lake of fire. But the Bible's very specific here in Revelation 19. At the time of the second coming, these two individuals will be cast into the lake of fire at that time. It, all, it also mentions that again in Revelation chapter 20, and we'll talk about that when we get there. So in this passage, the religious partner of the, of the Antichrist describes as the false prophet. It states the false prophet performed miracles before the Antichrist and used those miracles to deceive the people of the world. That's why it's important you have a, a, a great working knowledge of the Word of God. You don't want to be deceived by satanic miracles in the near future. So he's going to use his influence, this religious leader in the future, to convince the world to pledge allegiance to the Antichrist and to receive the mark of the beast. This is exactly what the beast with two horns actually did in Revelation 13, 11. He performed miracles, and by the means of those miracles, he convinced the world to, allow, to follow the Antichrist. And this it provides absolute proof the beast with two horns is the false prophet. This is, that would be in uh, Revelation 13. So the end of both of these evil personages is to be cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. You certainly don't want to be following these two individuals throughout the end time, the Antichrist and the false prophet. But the Bible says that most of the world will follow them. You've got to make sure you're in a true Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, folks. You're part of the bride of Christ. Revelation 19.21 explains what will happen to those who follow the Antichrist and the false prophet. The Bible says, And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. What a gory time that's going to be. I certainly want to be part of the church that is fighting on behalf of Israel with an immortal body, don't you? Now, that brings us to an account of the, uh, well, I need to talk about the simultaneous harvest because I'm kind of trying to fill in a few gaps here as we go through Revelation 19 to 22. In Matthew 13, 36 through 43, Jesus gave the parable of the simultaneous harvest 
of the wheat and the tares. Another description, now this is, the, this is at the uh, time when the Lord comes back. This is the time of the rapture, the second coming, the harvest, the wheat and the tares. But another description of, the, of, of that same event is given by John in Revelation 14, 14 through 20. Finally, we see a very detailed description of the two harvests in Revelation 19, 7, 21. Again, I told you it happens over and over here. You've got to make sure you don't think they're separate events. They're the same events told over and over again. So in Revelation 19, 7 through 21, we see the bride preparing for the rapture and the announcement of the marriage of the Lamb is come. The bride joins the bridegroom for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Then Jesus and His bride, the church, descend to the earth to fight the battle of Armageddon and to replace the kingdoms of this world with the kingdoms of God. At this time, we will crown Jesus Christ King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, a lot of people have said, well, no, that's the U, a, a U-turn theory. If, if, if people that believe in a post-trib rapture believe in the U-turn, the U-turn theory, that we go up and just come right back down. But here's the deal. It has to be that way. It has to be that the, the Lord will come and send His angels to gather everybody, both all of them that are dead in Christ and those that are alive and remain from wherever they're at, all over the world. We have to be gathered together to the marriage supper of the Lamb in the sky then we go to fight on behalf of Israel at the Battle of Armageddon. You can call it the U-turn theory or whatever you want to call it, but that's exactly how it's going to happen according to Revelation 19. Okay? Now, Satan is going to be bound at this time when the Lord comes back. He, Satan's going to be bound. The Antichrist and the false prophet, they're cast into the lake of fire. Satan's bound for a thousand years. And at the time... Uh, um, so, and what's going to happen is an angel will lay hold upon Satan, bind him for that thousand years, and he's then he's going to be confined, confined to the bottomless pit, preventing him from deceiving the nations during that one thousand year. This would be the millennial reign. And it's recorded in Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3. Then we come to the establishment of the kingdom of God on the earth. Now, we're moving away from Satan's kingdom, and we're moving into the establishment of the physical kingdom of God here on the earth. Immortal human beings, Christians, saints, the church, will rule over mortal human beings still living on a physical earth. Now, the Bible tells us Satan has ruled the world since the time of Adam and Eve. The scriptures call him the God of this world. That's in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, the God of this world. So it's important we understand where we're at here on this timeline. We're at the end of this, we're, we're, the second coming of Jesus Christ has occurred, the battle of Armageddon, Antichrist and false prophet in the lake of fire. Now we're moving from Satan's kingdom into God's kingdom, the kingdom of God on the earth. And so we're going to be diving back off into this much deeper as we go through here because we want to understand all these prophecies because we're going to live through these things. The symbols and prophecies within the book of Revelation have perplexed Christians and unbelievers around the world. In his final work, Revelation, The Unveiling of Jesus Christ Part 2, the late Irvin Baxter unlocks the mystery of the book of Revelation with in-depth analysis and commentary like you've never heard before. These comprehensive study tools, available for $299, will deepen your biblical understanding 
Don't miss this special offer. Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com. Hi, I'm Judy Baxter. When Irvin and I got married, we didn't realize that our calling would be a prophetic ministry. Since we started End Time Ministries, there have been many times we weren't sure how we would pay the bills, but God has always provided. We started with the magazine, then went on radio and TV, and now we have the Jerusalem Prophecy College in Israel and online with End Time Plus. The mission has always been to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the End Time message. Through the years, my husband would say, we will see revival like never before in the last days. We are living in the end time now. Thank you for walking this journey with us and continuing in prayer. You are a part of the team. Thank you for your generous support. It is necessary for God's purpose. The most important thing is that you are ready when the Lord comes. Our hope is to help prepare you for that day. God bless you and we love you. Once Satan is bound at the beginning of the 1,000 year millennial reign, a new order will be established upon the earth. And this order is described in Revelation 20, verse 4 through 6. John said, now he's seeing a future vision here, okay? I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus Christ, and for the word of God. Now this is during the great tribulation period. That's when the mark of the beast will be doled out. And John said, And which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark in their foreheads and in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for that a thousand year period as immortals. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. The unsaved individuals that had passed on prior to the second coming. And this is the, the Bible says that those that in um, verse 4, that this is the first resurrection. So those people came through the great tribulation and then the first resurrection occurred. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for that 1,000 year period as immortal beings, the church. Those that were sitting on the thrones are the saints of God. Throughout Scripture, we are taught that all who are born again will rule and reign as kings and priests with Jesus during that 1,000 year when Satan is bound. In Revelation 5.10, the redeemed declared, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. So uh, some people have said, well, no, this is all spiritual and it's just a spiritual occurrence. No, no, we'll be here on a physical earth, okay? Afterward, uh, here in Revelation 20, John was seeing the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. And this group of people lived during the time of the Antichrist. They did not worship the beast, the Antichrist. They did not receive his mark, uh, the mark of the beast in their foreheads and their hands and they lived and reigned with Christ during that 1,000 year millennial reign. Those who were born again, along with Old Testament saints, a lot of people have a question about that. What about the Old Testament saints? What about Abraham and uh, Isaac and Jacob and David and all of them? 
they're going to be resurrected at the time of the rapture. Okay? Revelation, they're part of the church. And there's many ways. I'll prove that as we go throughout this little uh, few um, additions here. But they'll all be res resurrected at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we've got to make a, probably a special note here that when those who did not worship the beast take his image were resurrected, the passage specifically says, this is the first resurrection. So this obviously means that there was not a resurrection three and a half years, seven years, or any time prior to that. This is talking about the resurrection. When Jesus Christ will come back, send His angels with the sound of a great trumpet to gather the elect. That's what the, resurrect, the first resurrection is talking about. It's mentioned over and over and over throughout Scripture. Many have taught that there will be a resurrection seven years before this and three and a half years before this and that there are many, 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 many parts to the resurrection. But the Bible says this is the first resurrection. However, Revelation 25 completely eliminates that possibility. Revelation 26 teaches all who are part in the first resurrection will not need to worry about the second death, which takes place a thousand years later at the great white throne of judgment. If we are blessed to be part of this first resurrection, we will be given our immortal bodies at that time and we will forever have eternal life. Whether somebody's died on, whether Irvin Baxter, my father-in-law, whether it's him who's passed on before us, or whether it's hopefully us who alive and remain, the Christians who have been born again, who are alive and remain at that time, we're all going to, the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet them in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Oh, folks, won't that be a day? Make sure you're prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ. If you get raptured, you're set. You, you, you've been judged at that point and you're, you have been given an immortal body, and we will forever be with the Lord at that point. My father-in-law, just before he passed, finished the Revelation commentary series, and at the very end, he said, I will see you in the rapture. And I'm looking forward to seeing him and many of our brothers and sisters in Christ at that day. Oh, what a day that will be. Most importantly... I cannot wait to see Jesus Christ face to face. Okay, so who will populate the earth during the 1,000 years? Well, the scriptures repeatedly say the saved will rule and reign as kings and priests with Jesus Christ on the earth. The big question is, who are we going to rule over? The mortals that live into this. Now, I'm not real caught up on this question. I'm caught up in... How do I make myself ready to be an immortal? I don't want to be a mortal living in that. Uh-uh. I want to be immortal. I want to be a kings and priests, part of the bride of Christ. That's our goal. But some people still want to know. And the Bible is fairly vague on this. It gives us some answers. So, who are we going to rule over? The mortals. Well, the answer to this question is found in Daniel 7, 11 through 12. Uh, Daniel said, I beheld then, he's seeing a voice in the future from us, I beheld then because the voice of the, of the words, the great horn spake, the Antichrist, I beheld even till the beast, 
the Antichrist was slain. And remember Revelation 19:20 when the Antichrist was thrown into the lake of fire? That's exactly what this is Daniel's describing in Daniel 7, 11, 12. The Bible says John, um, Daniel saw a vision. He said, I beheld even till the beast was slain. His body was destroyed and given to the burning flame. We just talked about that in Revelation 19, 20. As concerning the rest of the beasts, the beasts symbolize nations, right? In Daniel 7, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. So in verse 11, the beast, the Antichrist, will be slain at the second coming of Jesus to the earth. Verse 12 describes the destiny of the other beast in Daniel 7, nations. It states that when the Antichrist is destroyed, the other nations will have their dominion, their power taken away, but they will be allowed to live for a season and a time into the 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ. And therefore, the people who were not killed during the battle of Armageddon will continue to live as mortals on earth during the reign of the kingdom of God. The saved will be immortal. We've been given our immortal body at the time of the rapture. This means immortals will rule over the mortal population living on the earth. There is a further explanation of this question in Zechariah 14, 16. It says, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left after all the nations come against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, this scripture clearly states that those left of the nations that fought against Jerusalem at Armageddon will go up to worship the Lord during the millennial reign. Well, then it brings up another question. How does God decide who will be allowed to continue living during that 1,000 years? Again, I want to stress to you, everybody listening me, to me, your goal should be to make the rapture. I don't want to be one of the ones that chance it and try to make it through the, the World War III, the Great Tribulation, the Battle of Armageddon, and everything, and then say, okay, I'll live into the, to the millennial reign and somehow get ready on the other side. Eh, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to make the rapture. That's my goal. My name is Dave Robbins. I'll be 55 in August, and my goal is to make the rapture. Okay? The Scripture, and this is why, the Scripture does not clearly explain who will be allowed to continue on the earth. It does say the nations will, but it doesn't give a qualification here. You know, we, we do have a clue from the Old Testament. We have, there is a precedence, but I can't guarantee this. I'm speculating now. When the, you remember when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they went through the wilderness, and they arrived at the Promised Land. They're getting ready to go in. And after, the, the, again, the bondage in Egypt, they did not believe they could possess the land. They had unbelief. So because of their unbelief, after all the many miracles God had done for them, I mean, splitting the Red Sea, giving them manna and quail and, and water from a rock, they still had unbelief. Well, God decreed that because of their unbelief, you guys aren't going in. However, every person 20 years of age and older, they had to die off out in the wilderness and would not be permitted to enter the promised land. But those under the age of 20, 19 years old and down, they were not held responsible for the unbelief of their parents. 
And, you know, the question then comes up. Could it be that God, again, will not hold young people responsible for the iniquity of their parents? Now, again, I'm speculating because I simply don't know. It's a gray area. We know there will be mortals that live into that, but I do not know how God decides who's allowed to go in there. The Bible doesn't tell us that. And so I, all I can do is tell you I'm speculating and that if you are alive and breathing and your heart is beating and you're watching me or listening to me, you need to make the rapture. Be born again. Go to endtime.com reborn. Understand what, it's, uh, what it means to be born again in great detail so you can make the rapture. Now, uh, what is it? I think there's approximately one-third of the world's population today that is below, that's 19 years old and down. I think it's close to, what, uh, just over 2 billion people. So if this rule would hold true, true like it did with the children of Israel when they came up to the promised land, there would still be plenty of people to inhabit and replenish the earth during the 1,000-year millennial reign. Again, I'm speculating. But God in His infinite wisdom will decide who will be allowed to live into and inhabit the earth into the millennial reign. Now, i got to talk about the millennial reign here really, really quick. Uh, I'm in uh, Revelation, what, Revelation 20 still. So we're after the Battle of Armageddon now, and all human governments will have been disbanded. And Jesus will be crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords, uh, back in Isaiah 2, verses 2 through 4, it describes events that happened during the millennial reign. The Bible says, And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house will be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations will flow into it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and He will teach us His ways, and we will walk in His paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and He shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their um, swords into plowshares, they shall beat their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Wow, won't that be a time when Satan's bound no more Antichrist, no more false prophet, and we are in perfect peace during that time. No war, no conflict, because the, the bride of Christ and Jesus Christ is ruling the earth during that period. But we've got to make it from now till then, don't we? And Jesus is going to help us. I've been part of the End Time family from the beginning over 30 years ago when my parents, Irvin and Judy Baxter, began ministry from the recliner in our living room. My name is Jana Robbins. I have the pleasure of connecting with our incredible partners every day. End Time is a small nonprofit that runs a high traffic website, a daily TV and radio show, the Prophecy College in Jerusalem, and more. Although we have less than 30 team members, we are able to serve tens of millions of people each month. We survive on the goodness of God and donations averaging about $50. If everyone hearing this message gave $22, our financial needs would be met for the year. If you only give to one cause per month, please consider 
partnering with End Time to help get the message of our soon coming King out to the world. Call us at 1-800-END-TIME to give today or go to endtime.com to become a monthly or one-time partner. During the millennial reign, the headquarters for the kingdom of God upon the earth will be located in the city of Jerusalem. And apparently the throne of Jesus will be located on the Temple Mount. And the scripture reveals that He will rule the nations with a rod of iron. He's going to teach the nations the way of righteousness and peace. And He's going to tolerate no rebellion. There, there will be no more war upon the earth. Isaiah tells them again, beat your swords into plowshares, your spears into pruning hooks. The people of the earth will learn war no more. The nations will not have, they're not going to have armies. They're not, there's not going to be a military industrial complex. There's going to be no military training. All that's going to be done away with. No more human governments. The nations, um, there's not going to be one war on earth for a thousand years. There will truly be peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And the, the scripture says, His rest shall be glorious. Well, later on, Isaiah 65, 17 through 25 says, it, 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 um, it gives details more about the millennium. It says, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. Now, I want to make sure everybody gets this. I had a question the other day on our radio program about a new heaven and a new earth. And this is during the millennial reign. Isaiah said, Behold, I, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. That's a very important clue. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing, and her people a joy, and I will rejoice in Jerusalem. And joy in my people, and the voice of weeping shall no more be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old. Lifespans are going to be elongated like they were in the, in the early days. People live in six, seven, eight, nine hundred years. There will be people that live almost the one thousand year period. The Bible, Isaiah went on to say, But the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed, and they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they're going to plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They, they're going to, they're, they shall not build and, and, and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth for trouble. But they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord, and their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass that before they call... I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will lay down together. The lion shall eat straw like the bullock. And dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, saith the Lord. Can you imagine? I, I, I think sometimes we can't even comprehend. My finite mind cannot comprehend something like that. But I'm going to be a part of it. If the Lord will help me and... and Give me mercy and grace. I'm going to be a part of that as an immortal being. So when Isaiah prophesied that there would be a new heaven and a new earth, 
He didn't mean that there would be a different heaven, like a brand spanking new heaven and a new earth somewhere. He meant that the earth would be renovated. <clears throat> we know this because mortals will continue to live uh, to populate the earth after the battle of Armageddon. If the earth were totally destroyed, mortals would not survive, right? That happens at the very end, just prior to the great white throne of judgment. And we'll get to that in this little kind of a mini-series that I'm doing here. So, the Apostle Peter, he also spoke of a new heaven and a new earth in 2 Peter 3, verse 10 through 13. He says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. You know when that is. That's at the second coming, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing that all these things shall be dissolved. And what manner of persons ought we to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening uh, unto the coming of the day of God? wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Now, you can say, well, right there it says there's going to be, the heavens are going to be on fire and everything. So here's the deal. You've got to tie Isaiah and all the prophecies about a, 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 we're going to, the, the nations will live into uh, the millennial reign from Daniel 7. Got to tie all these prophecies together. The day of the Lord here is in 2 Peter refers to the time of the second coming when God's wrath will be poured out upon the inhabitants of the earth at Armageddon. The heavens pass away and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. This will not be worldwide. It's important to understand this prophecy. It's not going to be a worldwide occurrence or else all the inhabitants of the earth would be destroyed, right? Zechariah 14.12 describes the effects of a nuclear weapons at the time of the battle of Armageddon. Um, Zechariah said, And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh will consume away while they stand upon their feet. Their eyes will consume away in their sockets. Their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. Nuclear weapons actually melt the elements when they're detonated. And this is what Peter was describing when he said the elements would melt. This will occur around Jerusalem during the Battle of Armageddon. The Battle of Armageddon is localized right there in the nation of Israel. It is not worldwide. World War III, Revelation 9, 13-16, the Sixth Trumpet War, that will spread out around the world. But the Battle of Armageddon is localized. So when Peter and um, Zechariah and John, they were all talking about these different things that would occur, events that would happen in the millennial reign and the... The, the new Jerusalem will be created and everything. You've got to understand the timing of these things. Um, it's very, very important. But the Bible gives us clues all the way through. And if you tie them all together, wow, it's just like put it, fitting the pieces to the puzzle, isn't it? And I love doing it. Now, during the millennial, the millennium, it appears world conditions will be restored to the way they were before the fall of Adam and Eve. It's going to be it's going to be God's great reset, right? And people lived to be almost a thousand years of age at the time, back then. And Isaiah 65, 20 says a person dying at the age of 100 during the millennial reign would be considered but a child. Now, this same passage states a sinner 
would be accursed. So there will be sinners during the millennial reign, but they, they're going to be in the minority. Presently, sinners are in uh, the majority, right? Most of the world. And the righteous are in the minority. Once Satan is bound, that situation is going to be reversed. Most people will live righteously, but some will live as sinners. Finally, Isaiah said, the wolf will lay down, the wolf and the lamb are going to feed together. The lion will eat straw like the bullock. Meat-eating animals are going to be changed to vegetarians. All killing will be suspended. And this wonderful state of peace and banishment of fear will last all throughout the thousand years of peace. Well, at the end of the 1,000 years, ah, Satan's going to be loosed. What is all that about? Revelation 27, um, John said, And when the thousand years were expired, Satan's going to be loosed out of his prison. Now, this is one of the questions that we have been asked most often. After Satan being bound for a thousand years, why would God turn him loose? And I believe, we believe that there is only one plausible answer that we can come up with. In the beginning of creation, God gave every human being the power of choice. Adam and Eve had the power of choice to obey or disobey, didn't they? Every human being from that time until now has been given the same power of choice to choose between good and evil. You can serve God or you can serve Satan if you want. Everybody has that choice. The world will be very different during the 1,000 year reign of Christ when Satan is bound. In order to provide the same power of choice for those on the earth at the end of the 1,000 years, God is going to release Satan so the people of the earth can be exposed to temptation. Revelation 27-10 describes what happens next. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan is going to be loosed out of his prison and shall go to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went upon the breadth of the earth and compassed around the city of the saints about and, and the beloved city. But there was no battle. The Bible says, And fire came down from heaven and devoured all of them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast, where the Antichrist and the false prophet, his religious partner, where they have been tormented day and night forever and ever, and they're already there. Satan's going there into the lake of fire at that point. So amazingly, when Satan's loosed, he's quickly able to deceive the world once again. It's, it's almost unbelievable, but the Bible says it's going to happen. And you would think after enjoying, you know, a thousand years of no war and no killing a mankind that they would have learned their lesson, but that's not what's going to happen. Revelation 20, verses 8, it reveals that Satan is going to influence the inhabitants of the world, inhabitants of the world to fight against Jesus Christ even. And... Verse 9 tells us, I'm in Revelation 20, verse 9, that people of the world will come against the beloved city, speaking of Jerusalem here. And at this time, the patience of God, He's just done. He's, it's patience has run out. Fire is going to come down from God out of heaven, and He's going to devour all those that have gathered against Jerusalem. He's done. And at that time, 
Satan will be cast into the lake of fire where the Antichrist and the false prophet were placed a thousand years before. And then verse 10 says that Satan will then be tormented day and night forever and ever. And this describes the end of the human experience and the end of Satan himself. And that brings us to the great white throne judgment. Revelation 20, I'm down to about what, 11 and 12 now. It says that, John said, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat upon it, from whom the face of the earth and the heaven fled away from, and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things, which were written in the books according to their works. Folks, we're all going to be judged in the end. Some will be judged at the rapture. Some will be judged at the great white throne. I want to be judged at the time of the rapture and live with and reign with Jesus Christ during the 1,000-year millennial reign. That should be all of our goals. How do you get prepared for that? How do you get prepared for this time of judgment that's coming? Make sure you're born again. Go to endtime.com reborn. You can read the brochure right there of all the steps to be born again. All the scriptures are given in great detail because we want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt what do I need to do to be prepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now what we will do, we're going to continue on with this little series. I'm going to take you through Revelation chapter 21 and Revelation chapter 22 the next time I'm with you. Because we want you to understand these things. We're, we're going to go through these, but some people are very perplexed. Pastors, Bible study teachers, people that have read through this for years and thought, man, I just don't know what that means. Well, we want you to understand these things, to be able to help others to have a, a, a hope and a promise of what's coming. And so join me again next time for the rest of this series. God bless.